Hi friends, this is Pastor Beth Demi from Gray Memorial. We had some audio challenges um, during the recording of the worship service for Sunday, November 12th. Actually, I got a couple of minutes into my sermon and my mic completely went out. The battery died. So I'm bringing you a separate recording of the sermon from that day. The scripture readings were Romans chapter 10 verses 9 through 15 and the Gospel of John chapter 1 verses 35 through 51. Today we continue our look at what it means to be on the disciples' path. We started a few weeks ago talking about how knowing who Jesus is or even declaring who Jesus is doesn't make someone a disciple. A disciple is someone who follows. We want to follow Jesus so closely that the dust of his sandals settles on us. All of this has been building to next Sunday, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, our Harvest Sunday. We ask that you bring in non-perishable food items for our harvest, and we will also harvest our commitments for 2024. The commitment cards are available today, and you can get one as you leave so that you can pray about it this week. And the commitment cards are set up so that um, you'll make your commitments and you'll keep that card where you've actually outlined what your commitments will be. And then the card you turn in simply says what areas you're making commitments in. And we trust that when you make these commitments, the Holy Spirit is going to be at work in you and, and will guide you to be able to fulfill those commitments that you've made. We're going to make commitments in five areas pulled directly from the United Methodist membership vows, prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. We talked about how and why a disciple prays. Prayer and Bible reading are fuel for the journey. They keep us on the right path. We talked about the fact that a disciple shows up. When you show up with less than your whole self, this community is less than what God intends it to be. We talked about why a disciple gives. We said that everything we have and everything we are is a gift from God, including our financial resources. So we want to use the money God has given us for the mission God has given us. Then last week, we talked about the fact that a disciple serves. God has given every one of you a spiritual gift so that you can help make the kingdom of God a reality here and now. Today, our focus is on how and why a disciple shares their faith. We commit to faithfully participating in the ministries of the church with our witness. In other words, one of the ways we faithfully participate is by sharing our faith with others people inside and outside the church. A disciple is an evangelist. The word evangelism comes from the Greek word euangelion. Euangelion literally means good news. And guess what? Christians didn't come up with it. We actually co-opted it. It was originally used by Rome and the Roman emperors. Caesar Augustus, the first Roman emperor, or someone who worked for him, understood the importance of a good PR campaign. When there was something worth bragging about, when something good happened in the empire, they couldn't send an email or put the good news out on social media, right? They didn't even have newspapers. So they would post stone tablets in public places with the good news inscribed on them. And they would send heralds out throughout the empire to declare the good news of what the emperor had done. The heralds were messengers... And we see that in the middle of this word, euangelion, angel, A-N-G-E-L. The good news was the euangelion, and the people who brought it were the messengers or the angels. Early Christians were like, good news? I'll tell you some good news. 
I've got good news of a new ruler and a new kingdom that matter way more than the Roman Empire and will do far more good than this or any political system can do. The earliest Christians co-opted the idea of euangelion from the empire. It was a word filled with political connotations that was given new meaning by Christians. Maybe that's why it irks me so much when people these days try to go backwards and stuff the word evangelical full of political connotation again. No, this good news is about something that matters more than politics. Euangelion is a Greek word, but before long, Latin replaced Greek as the primary language, especially in written texts, and euangelion became evangelium, and we see that still today in words like evangelism or evangelist. Then, in what we call the Dark Ages, as the English language was forming, Anglo-Saxon scholars, there were scholars during the Dark Ages, they went back to the roots of the word euangelion. And they understood that it meant good news or the good news of God. And in their language, that translated as God spell, which became the word gospel. This, friends, this is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are made in the image of God, but that image has been distorted by sin and needs to be restored. We all fall short of the glory of God, but God has a plan for reconciliation and restoration. Being a good person is a good thing to be, but it's not enough to reconcile us to God and it it won't heal the brokenness of our world. Our image, the image of God in us is restored and we are justified or made right with God when we come to faith in Christ. Through faith, we are brought into righteousness, right relationship with God and with one another. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. When we acknowledge that we need God, God helps us align our living with God's love. And from that point forward, the Holy Spirit is at work in us to form us into the likeness of Christ. This is what John Wesley called sanctification. The Holy Spirit leads us toward holiness, the wholeness of a life that is fully centered in loving God and loving others. But the good news of Jesus's life, death, resurrection, and ascension is not only about us. God wants to reconcile not only individuals to God and individuals to each other. God actually wants to reconcile all things. God's love in Christ connects Christians to a common mission to redeem the world, to restore all of humanity to the loving, saving, life-giving purposes of God, so that we can all experience the kingdom of God and the full goodness of creation. The invitation to each of us is to recognize our deep need for realignment, to receive the grace that only God can give, and join with the church in participating in God's transformation of the world. The good news, the gospel that Christians have proclaimed through the ages, is that in Jesus Christ, For our salvation, God has entered human history in a unique way. Not only that, but the presence of God among us didn't end with the ascension of Jesus. On the contrary, Jesus himself promised his followers that he would not leave them alone, but would send another counselor. And that's exactly what happened. We celebrate that every Pentecost, you know, that the Holy Spirit came at the the Jewish festival of Pentecost, the first one after the ascension, and the the church was born. 
and the gospel has been preached ever since. We were talking in Bible study on Thursday morning very briefly about how the apostles Peter and Paul died. Church history tells us that they were both executed by order of the Roman emperor Nero. Peter, who was not a Roman citizen, he was crucified, but his executioners honored his request to be crucified upside down. He didn't want to be seen as emulating Jesus or trying to replace Jesus in any way. The apostle Paul, however, because he was a Roman citizen, he was given the more merciful form of the death penalty and he was beheaded. The thing is, we don't have those details in the Bible, do we? In Acts, we're told about the martyrdom of a disciple named Stephen, but the book of Acts ends not with Paul dying, but with Paul preaching in Rome. Scholars tell us that Luke ends the book of Acts with Paul preaching, even though Luke knew of Paul's death. In fact, the death of leading figures was one of the things that prompted the gospel writers to write down the good news of Jesus Christ. The earliest followers of Jesus they thought he was coming right back. It took them a few decades to realize that God had a different timeline in mind. So when Luke, who was converted to Christianity by Paul, when he writes first the gospel, the good news from his perspective, and then Acts, he is doing so in the shadow of Paul's death, and yet he doesn't mention it. Luke had a theological reason for this. He knew the story wasn't over. Luke understood that the story he was telling is the story, and it won't come to an end until the end of all history. Do you see? The good news of Jesus Christ is not a first century story. At least, it's not a story that stops there. The good news of Jesus Christ is a story that is still being written. The good news of Jesus Christ is a story that is still being written in you and through you. You are an evangelist called to share the euangelion, the good news of what God is doing in your life. You are an evangelist. Does that make you nervous? <laughs> I feel like I can feel you squirming in your seat just a little. Evangelism is a good word with a bad reputation. There are some evangelists who have good reputations, praise God, but there are also some evangelists who give the whole concept a bad name, aren't there? If I say a name like Jim Baker or Jimmy Swaggart, you're more likely to think of their personal scandals than you are to think of Jesus, right? As an aside, I tried to figure out whether Jimmy Swaggart was still alive and I googled it and some people on Google said he's definitely not still alive and some said he definitely is. So that's a mystery for me right now. When I hear the word evangelist, I think of the street preachers in Pensacola where I grew up. I've told you about them before extremely conservative biblical literalists who would stand on the street corner with a Bible in their hand and use it like a megaphone, literally a soft cover Bible folded around and used as a megaphone. In my experience, these folks never shared the good news of Jesus Christ, but instead always shouted their own condemnation of people. Can I tell you an embarrassing story? I, I know I've never told you this story because I think it's a story that I've told maybe once in my whole life. Um, but I once got into a shouting match with a group of street preachers. I was just a kid. I was a teenager, like maybe 14 or 15. And I was in downtown Pensacola. Somebody had opened a nightclub that was just for teenagers. It was really just a dark room where kids could hang out and listen to music too loud, dance if they wanted to. 
And it really was too loud. I think I went like maybe three times. My friend Katrina Flores liked it and she talked me into going, but honestly, she was much cooler than me and fit in there much better than me. The second or third and probably the last time that I went, it was on a Saturday night and this would have been like 1990 or 1991. And I was hanging out inside, certainly feeling awkward and uncool. And someone came in and said, there was a group of protesters gathering outside across the street. We were right down on Government Street in the heart of downtown Pensacola in an old rundown building that's probably been fixed up and is worth a couple million dollars now. Protesters, I said? What are they protesting at seven o'clock on a Saturday night? So of course, because I was a teenager and I was stupid, I went outside to see what was going on. And it turned out it was a group from the local Bible college and they were protesting against us against me and the other kids who happened to be in that little hangout club. They had made poster board signs and everything. They yelled at us for being immoral and worldly. In my foggy memory, it seems like they maybe even used the word slutty, a very, very ugly word. I happened to remember what I was wearing because it was my, I'm going out and I want to feel pretty outfit. You know what I mean? Are you with me? I was wearing a long sleeve, white button-down shirt buttoned to my collar. It was a very pretty shirt. I had saved and saved to buy it from the mall, y'all. You know, the place I spent every Friday night window shopping and getting my steps in. My I want to be pretty shirt had a puff at the top of the sleeve and it had roses embroidered all down the middle of the front. This was the Laura Ashley era flowers were in. There was also a little ruffle, a very little ruffle, super discreet at the top of the collar. I'm not kidding you. It was basically a turtleneck. So I had on that, my fancy shirt with a denim skirt that went scandalously only to my knees. And then I also had on black tights with black flats because y'all, I was cool and I knew how to dress to go out for some fun. And also it was the very early 90s. So I heard there were protesters and I went outside the club to check it out. And sure enough, there was a group of people yelling about how terrible the people, the kids in this club were. They took turns yelling about sin and guilt and shame and how that little club was a hotbed of sin and how we all needed to repent or else they were pretty worked up. And like I said, they had made signs and everything. They were confident in their condemnation. I mean, they didn't just spontaneously decide to protest. They were organized. They had come to evangelize, you know? And I don't know what came over me. Maybe maybe it was the Holy Spirit. I don't know. Probably just more, you know, teenage angst than anything. But I started yelling back at them. I said something like, you don't know me. You don't know us as if the kids inside were all like my bestest friends and this is my second home. You don't know us. Nothing bad is happening in here. Have you ever even been inside? If not, then what do you know about what's going on? I'll have you know that I'm going to get up tomorrow morning and go to church like I do every single Sunday because I love Jesus. I think they looked at my outfit from my turtleneck to my tights and it confused them. (laughs) 
it wasn't what they expected to see. I wasn't who they expected to see. They had an image of who they were there to condemn, and it was not someone who was as obviously, let's say, boring. Someone who was as obviously boring as me. They definitely didn't expect someone to come out of the club and tell them about Jesus. In my mind's eye, I see them putting down their signs and hanging their heads in their own shame and regret as they packed up to go home. But I don't actually remember. So what probably happened is that I lost my courage and ran back inside as soon as I was done yelling. Maybe when you think of an evangelist, you think of people like the ones who were spewing condemnation at me that night. You don't need to be that kind of evangelist. I hope you won't be. You can be an evangelist in the style of Jesus. He's a good one to emulate, don't you think? So in our gospel reading today, this first chapter of the gospel of John, we, we see that the first words Jesus speaks in that gospel, in the gospel of John, the first words Jesus speaks are, what are you looking for? Sometimes this is translated, what do you seek? Everyone is looking for seeking something. Many, many people are looking for love, aren't they? Meanwhile, we know love, true love, the unconditional love of God. People are looking for it and we can help them find it. Jesus style evangelism is people loving and life giving. It's not the negative images of evangelism that saturate our culture today. It begins with an understanding that people are looking for something and invites them to find it. How are you caring for people by inviting them to experience the love of God in Christ that you have experienced? Jesus says, what do you seek? And his next words are, come and see. Friends, that's evangelism. What do you seek? Come and see. Andrew, one of the men who had been following John the Baptist, spends time with Jesus and then runs to his brother, Simon, and says, wow, we have found him. We have found the Messiah. Andrew evangelizes. He is a messenger. He shares the good news of who he has found. He then brings his brother, Simon, to Jesus. And Jesus says to Simon, oh, you're a sturdy one. I'm going to call you Cephas or Peter, right? The next day, Jesus finds Philip and says, again, follow me. Philip then becomes an evangelist. He goes to his friend, Nathaniel, and says, there's someone you've got to meet. Come and see friends, do you see that? That's evangelism. Come and see. Andrew and Philip don't pressure or manipulate. They just invite. They say, come and see. That's what Jesus says too. Come and see. Come and see and get a little dust on you. You know, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus so closely, the dust of his sandals settles on them. When people are like, hey, what's that dust all over you? You go, that? Oh, that's just a It's a little bit of what I've learned from Jesus. Come and see. You don't have to stand on the street and yell at people. In fact, I would urge you not to do it that way. It's hard for anything to seem like good news when it's presented that way. Jim Harnish says that when it comes to evangelism, conversation is better than confrontation. Invitation is better than invasion. Adventure is better than argument. A meeting of the hearts is better than making a point. Personal discovery will get you farther than vigorous debate. We can share the gospel without cramming religious truisms down people's throats or hitting people over the head with contrived cliches or shouting condemnations from street corners. 
we share the gospel in the spirit of love and grace at the center of our Wesleyan tradition, at the center of our faith. You are an evangelist called to share the Evangelion, the God spell, the good news. And the Holy Spirit goes with you in this work. My prayer for you is that in the days and weeks to come, you will be more attuned to the opportunities the Holy Spirit is giving you to share your faith, to evangelize. All you have to do is tell people what you've seen, what you've experienced, how God has made God's love known in your life, in your experience. See, you're, you're a witness. You don't have to be an attorney who argues the case. You aren't the judge deciding the case. You're a witness. All you have to do, all you can do is tell what you've seen and what you've experienced. Tell people about the dust that has settled on you as you've followed Jesus. You are part of the story that God is writing in the world. The good news of Jesus Christ is a story that is still being written in you and through you. Go out and tell that story. Amen.